I doubt I'd be here if it weren't for social media, to be honest with you, because there is a fake media out there. I get treated very unfairly by the media, and I have a tremendous platform. I think I have 125 million people between Twitter and uh, Instagram and all of them, and Facebook. Mm. I have a tremendous platform. So, so, so when worry. somebody says something about me, I'm able to go bing, 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 and I take care of it. The other way, I'd never be able to get the word out. We've spoken to historians and Trump biographers who say the immediacy of Twitter is intoxicating for Donald Trump, and they're worried that the extent to which he is now turning to the social media feed is getting unhealthy. How do you interpret this man blocking a 16-year-old high school student? I thought it was weird to have him block someone. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Okay, until all of this is over, when will that day come? I will continue to be preoccupied with people like Michael Cohen who leave Trumpism. And I'm also interested in people like Max Boot, Michael Bloomberg, and James Comey, who merely leave the Republican Party because of what Trump did to it, or also leave it because of what Trump brought to the surface about the party, which they now own had been there all along. That was what Max Boot told us in the last episode. I remember hearing on the first season of Slow Burn, the one about Watergate, about how agonizing it was for Republicans to turn on Nixon. And for the first time, I could kind of touch that agony listening to Max Boot, the difficulty of taking in new evidence, of deciding that even the high social and intellectual cost of divorcing an idol is better than the long, slow cost to the soul of staying with him. If in 2020... Okay, go with me here. The contest comes down to William Weld, the reasonable Republican who's primarying Trump. Let's say he wins the primary. And Tulsi Gabbard, the far lefty supported by Russia today. Even then, could I change my party affiliation and vote for Weld? I think I could just now considering it. But man, those party allegiances die hard. But is it just because I'm a superstitious fan of Democrats the way others are fans of like Manchester United or Arsenal? Or do I step and check every time I throw in with another damn healthcare plan or environmental initiative without actually kicking the tires? I'd say it's a bit of both. But if I'm honest, I go heavy on the trust and identity side of decision making. I trust Democrats more than Republicans to do what's right by my interests and ideals, which together constitute my identity. And I go a little less heavy on the evaluate everything side. My guest today on this matter is a bit of an anomaly. A bit? He's anomaly itself. He's David Weissman, who is not just a Trump voter and Trump supporter. He was a full-on and self-described Trump troll. Every day during the campaigns and into the Trump presidency, David helped pump lies about Pizzagate and an invasion and Benghazi into the social media bloodstream, and he lived to watch liberals squirm and freak out. David came to my attention on Twitter when, following a conversation with a concerned celebrity who took an interest in him, he changed his views. He left the Trump troll life and lived to tell about it. Hey, welcome to Trumpcast, David. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's really, really good to meet you in person because we've gotten as close as you can on Twitter. Right. And you're the only person I know who actually admits to having been a troll. Oh, yes. (laughs) That can't have been easy to admit to. 
It's definitely not easy and definitely hasn't been easy since I've admitted that. So talk us through your military service and then up to when you started to campaign unconventionally for Trump. Sure. I was in the United States Army for 13 years. I was a chaplain assistant. And what that was was security for the chaplain because chaplains are not allowed to have weapons in the military. That's where, you know, we come in and that's our main mission besides administrative or logistics. Yeah. I traveled all over the country with the military and had two tours in Afghanistan and went from there. Working side by side with a chaplain in Afghanistan must have been a pretty profound experience. It was definitely unique, uh, especially being Jewish and most everybody is Christian that I interacted with. So, yeah, it was definitely an experience. Did the chaplain attend to the wounded, to the dying? Definitely, he did. Both of them did. Both were really good chaplains. You know, they were there for the soldiers. It was an easy job. I mean, we went to the front lines. We went where all the soldiers went. And my first unit was like an infantry unit. The second deployment was an engineering unit, and they actually built the FOBs, the forward operating bases, you know, from the ground up. So there was a lot of experience with that. Did you come away with new feelings about the war and about American foreign policy? That's where I think a lot of it began, because I know, like, my upbringing, you know, mom was conservative, and I was always taught not to talk about politics, not to talk about religion, you know, that shouldn't be out there, and which is kind of funny, I'm a political writer now. Yes, exactly. Not only are you on Twitter, but you write columns about this, which is extremely important, because your worldview is underrepresented, let's say, in the popular press. So go on. Did you say your mother was a conservative? Yeah. Okay. And what did that look like in your family? Just like a regular conservative, like more old school. I wouldn't say she's Trump conservative. She's not that. But she's, you know, old school Republican. And so that's where a lot of my beliefs began. And then when I was in the military, and I had a lot of Christian conservative friends and then developed there and then learned from my family, you know, from my wife. She's conservative as well. And that's where I learned a lot of the political beliefs from. So you sort of internalized those beliefs. And then usually if you came home objecting to the war, let's say during Vietnam, you maybe hardened your position against hawkishness in general. You became anti-war. But that didn't drive you away from Republicans. Right. Did you see Trump's isolationism, something in his isolationism or his would-be nationalism as an alternative to what people thought was neoliberal adventuring. Some people who disliked Obama and Hillary decided they were, quote, warmongers. You hear that on the left and some on the right, too. Right. At the time when all this was going on, I think a lot of the problem, oh, this one's saying some problem, that a lot of conservatives are very into their families or, you know, going into their own religion Mm -hmm. or that experience. And I think Trump saw that and he knew how to use it for his advantage. Kind of tribalism. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And they're not really diverse. I grew up in New York and it was very close in, you know, for us. And, you know, I mean, it was sort of, I guess, segregated a little bit. And so I didn't really. By race or did you go to Hebrew day school? By religion, I think. Yeah, by religion. OK. And then we moved down to Florida. So that was yet more segregated. Florida was more segregated. So didn't have a whole lot of experience in diversity and learning about different cultures. And, you know, when I got into politics and conservative, Sean Hannity was like one of the first people I listened to. Ah. So you can imagine where it went from there. Was Hannity and Fox News your first stop, or did you listen to Rush Limbaugh and some of the Uh, precedents? Sean Hannity was definitely my first first person. And in fact, actually inspired me to be a writer, a conservative writer. Oh, I see. At the time where I thought he was telling the truth, you know, Mm -hmm. I really believed a lot of what he was saying and from what, what my closed mindedness allowed me to see. Yeah. 
So I was like, wow, this is making sense. This is making sense. And then you know, and I wanted to be a part of it. I was offered a writing job, Conservative Underground is a small outlet. That's where my writing career started. There's another sort of penitent former troll figure, Katie McHugh. I don't know if you read. There's a profile of her in BuzzFeed. Really interesting young woman who also found as a writer that there was more room for her in conservative media, particularly online, than there was in more traditional media. And so it sounds like that happened to you a little bit. And what about the sort of master Sean Hannity narrative appealed to you? Uh, I think a lot of it had to do with like the the military and, you know, what happened after 9-11. That's where a lot of reviews come in. And when that took off, George Bush was installing pride in America. Yeah. You know, USA, USA, you know, the chance. And and that's where it kind of started really like America first kind of. You know, the narrative, I think, began. And that's where I think a lot of conservatives were thinking that, too. And that's where the isolation, I think, came in. Because a lot of conservatives, I think, think that America is just one culture, one religion, one culture, one way of life. I've learned through this past couple of years that it's not true at all. We had Max Boot, the formerly conservative intellectual, who's had a journey very like your own on the show recently. And He's also Jewish and grew up, I guess, to 10 in the then Soviet Union. And it it does feel like, and I don't know if you felt this in the military, but once you've decided that there's a totalizing view of what America looks like embodied by the kind of red-blooded male working class figure in the Midwest, everyone feels alienated from that to some extent. You know, you might even decide that you were too female for that or you were, in your case, too Jewish for that. It does seem like, I don't want to generalize, but the Jews have been able to move away from conservatism more naturally because possibly they can recognize that alienation minority status more easily than someone who really looks the part. I think so. I guess that's a possibility, too. And I mean, especially in the military, it was very rare to see another Jew in the military. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I I can definitely see that. What did trolling look like? I think many of Trump cast listeners have now read the Mueller report, studied the various indictments. We know about the IRA's intervention into social media. We know about how the GRU, Russian military intelligence, attacked, hacked the DNC and the RNC, but made the DNC documents public. But we don't know really about the sort of American foot soldiers in this attack. I've written a little bit about people who were persuaded or worked stateside in conjunction, witting or unwitting, with Russian campaigns. But I don't know how this group devised its strategies, devised its talking points, and basically carpet bombed social media in the way that some of you did so successfully. So talk me through how that even happens. A lot of this actually started happening during President Obama's presidency. Yeah. A lot of these talking points, you know, like, uh, you know, immigration, gun rights, and all that stuff, that really took off. Conservatives definitely do, do um, a lot of radio shows like this, and they do it really well. They're able to get the word out. It happened a lot on Facebook. I mean, mm-hmm. that's where I got started. Do you think you saw some of the IRA fake news, or you know, literally fake news, like just made up stuff about Hillary Clinton or Obama, birtherism, Ted yeah, Cruz as part of the Kennedy assassination, that kind of stuff? I did not believe about the Ted Cruz thing, okay. but yeah, I, I fell for the, I did a locker up chance and I thought Obama was foreign and I believed in that stuff. I went with it and I watched Kennedy. I mean, it was almost like every day he was always on Obama's case about something, you know, every day. And I, and I really believe like he was like destroying America. I mean, he really had people really thinking that. And you just see in the comments on Facebook, the people are so angry. And it's like, 
Now, what is this guy doing to America from the inside? A lot of people really thought that he was destroying America. The Hannity argument was what exactly? I mean, was he critical of the Iran deal? Oh, yeah. That was actually my first article that I ever written was about the Iran deal. How did you come to that? At the time that I really got into politics, I was actually living in Israel, too. So I was thinking okay, about yeah. the safety for Israel and all that stuff. And I didn't really realize the details full, you know, of the Iran deal, you know, like where they got the money from and all that, not realizing, you know, it's actually Iran's money. You know, I didn't know that. We were led to believe that was taxpayers' money. And, you know, we're thinking that Iran can't have any nuclear power and that would be dangerous to Israel. And, you know, we listened to Netanyahu too, and, you know, that's another story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's related. Right. Okay, so the Iran deal. And then what about Obamacare? Yeah, they crashed Obamacare. They were saying it was a big mistake. So they talk about that and, you know, immigration. They'll use a propaganda video. And at the time, I didn't realize, I didn't think to research more. But a lot of the invasions that they talked about in Europe and, you know, that's what they're afraid of. This is the the refugee crisis became known as the invasion. Right. Of um, and how how was that uh, the population that was being invaded described? Were they? I mean, well, a lot of them were Muslims, and I think a lot of people were like hating Obama for his respect for Muslims. I think I've asked you about this in DMs before. So Obama's closing out his second term, and we have candidates in the race. Did you start on the Hillary Clinton hard? Yes. I think the main goal for conservatives was not let Hillary win. Okay. Not let Hillary win, no matter what. Did you do any pushing for Bernie? No, always Republican, and I never even thought about going that <laughs> So you were a true ideologue. It wasn't like you were just plumping for Russia or working against Hillary. So it was defeat Hillary Clinton at all costs. Right. And where did you get those marching orders? Because Hannity is not exactly unleashing trolls, not specifically doing that or not explicitly doing that. I think it's something you see a lot of the frustrations from people on social media and on you know, Facebook and Twitter and, and kind of, you know, wanting to be a part of it and try to tell people, you know, hey, don't vote for her. And is there like a high in shitposting, like writing super aggressive stuff that you see? Yeah, it's sort of like, like an adrenaline rush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is. There's definitely like an adrenaline rush. And you feel like, it almost felt like you were going to war in a way. Oh, yeah. It felt like, you know, you're ready to log in, ready to fight for America. And I had that mentality. And I guess I got known for my writings and what I was saying and what I believed in. When I decided, you know what, I'm going to vote for Trump. They did welcome me in and, you know, I was part of their groups. That's where the really thick trolling began through the DMs and through the different groups of the Trump train. So Facebook groups, these were private. You had to right. be sort of invited to it. Right. So you in the main... Facebook page. I'm off Facebook, so I'm forgetting the terminology. But with your friends, maybe former fellow vets and others, just first started talking about some of these things. Right. They were percolating up. And then people formed groups. Is that right? Yes. There were groups on Facebook, closed groups, like, and there were groups on Twitter. And saying how many people would enter a DM. These are these group DMs for those of you who don't spend every waking minute on that microblogging platform that has captured, uh, captivated David and me. This is like a group text. And sometimes there are tons of people on it. You don't really know who's on it. And sometimes they're smaller. I'm afraid of the big ones because they're not as private as they look. Hmm. I guess I didn't really. <laughs> so this group of people would meet on Twitter. And we can also talk about Facebook and say, here's the plan for today. Well, sort of. I mean, they'll talk about it. They go a lot on what's trending or what Trump tweets out. And they go from there. And if Trump has a problem with somebody, they go after that person. I see. Okay. 
So let's say he has a problem with, like, the young woman who spoke up, or one of the union leaders, or Mika Brzezinski, or Rosie O'Donnell. So what does that look like? I mean, it might be someone you don't have a lot of feelings about, right? Right. The person, like, one of the leads or known people in a group, like, when send a tweet out about the person in a group. Yeah. And everybody will RT, tweet, you know, retweet I it. See. People will comment under it, trying to give that person a hard time, or trying to say, you know what, yeah. Trump is actually good, or people will come up with their own tweets on that person and send them in a group, and it'll get RT and commented. Sort of like a like a domino effect. Yeah, really building an yeah. echo chamber exactly. and everyone amening everyone else. I once retweeted something that Van Jones said, and probably one of those groups got a hold of it because they started writing back to both of us, you know, because you're both tagged in the original tweet. We were both tagged. And the responses were just extremely racist, like slavery era language, lynching language, obviously lots of the N-word. And it was by eggs, you know, people on Trump who haven't bothered to get a profile picture. But a lot of it seemed like organic, authentic trolling. So you don't strike me as a born racist, but did you participate in some of that stuff that was like just savage rape imagery, Holocaust imagery in some no, cases? No, I don't, I don't think it was. I think the main racist thing I would ever, I think I would say is like at the time I did not like Muslims because I thought they were evil. You know, I thought they were terrorists, you know, mm-hmm. from 9 11. That was a lot of things that a lot of conservatives were upset with Obama about was his respect for Muslims. Mm-hmm. And the immigration, I kind of did say to like George, you know, tweet it to George Lopez, like, if you don't like, you know, if you don't like America, go back to Mexico. To George Lopez. okay. One thing that interests me is how in red states that are pretty far from the southern border, there seems to be a lot of, and you're from New York and you lived in Israel, there's just this strange, misplaced, almost hallucinatory anxiety about Muslims and Mexicans, even in towns where almost none exist. It's like a phantom. Right. What was your personal life like at the time? You know, we're both online probably too much for parents, you know, it's like right. too, more than is good for us. But you were married, right? right? And children? Right, three. Three children, okay. And so did you just think of this every waking moment, like wake up in the middle of the night thinking Trump's enemies were terrible and James Comey, I can't remember if you had your conversion before or after James Comey was fired, but, you know, James Comey was a lion James Comey and little Marco Rubio. And Crooked Hillary. Crooked Hillary. Yeah, I was still in there. And yeah, I was on there probably more than I should have been. And I'm thinking I'm doing this to help protect family, protect America. That was like the mindset of what a lot of the trolls were thinking. You know, they were thinking they were protecting America and, you know, the American way of life. Did you meet some of your fellow trolls in person? A couple from Facebook, but not not in person. Or not from Twitter, no. And is it possible that there were, like, bots following you and retweeting you and or Russian trolls? Honestly, I know people. Like, I know a lot of the people, resistors, were like when I when I'm getting attacked from a Trump troll now, mm-hmm. and I say something, I know like, hey, if a fellow, you know, would say, hey, that guy is a bot, and they actually show me a link where you can actually find out who's a bot. Yeah. So right, so you were mixing it up, and you don't know who yeah. the group is. Yeah, you don't really know who you are talking yeah. to in these rooms. About Hillary Clinton, what would you say is the most egregious thing that you believe? Did you go for Pizzagate or she has pneumonia and she's dying? Yeah, I mean, I believe all that and, you know, the Benghazi situation. What's it like to believe Pizzagate? Like, just go back to that place for a little bit. (laughs) I guess people in power feel like they get away with a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff that goes on, I guess. I mean, I believed it because I thought it was right, but I, as far as Pizzagate, and stuff, I did not go into that too much. Okay. I definitely believe about the email situation mm-hmm. and then the guys and things like that. 
And how with Trump did you not find yourself equally critical of the things he did? So let's just take the Access Hollywood tape. How did that land for you? Because if you're a family values type. Well, I admit I defended it. I kind of excuse, made it an excuse of locker room talk. I kind of said, you know, they heard what goes on in a locker room of soldiers, you know, they would be freaking out. So I kind of justified it like that, you know, it's still not really okay. But at the time, it seemed like when Trump and uh, Trump trained, what mattered most was the mission, the American first mission, the economy. Mm-hmm. Nothing else mattered. Decency didn't matter at all. Right. It was by any means necessary. Exactly. It's interesting. I hadn't heard anyone say the Trump train felt like a military operation in some ways. As we know now, it was a military operation for the Russian GRU. Now, when there was evidence of Russian interference, which happened already during the election, and that our intelligence was saying that, presumably you as a vet have some respect for, right. you know, when James Clapper and others were being critical of the president and and noticing at least his tolerance, at the very least, of Russian interference. I mean, did that set off alarm bells for you? That was sort of at the time where I was sort of kind of figuring things out. Remember the time? The time of the Clapper criticism? I'm not sure. I mean, of course, I remember John Brennan calling Helsinki treasonous. I think that's when I realized, like, I was like, holy crap, Hillary Clinton's right. I mean, that was one of the first light bulbs I think I've after the dialogue and everything, that I was like, wow, Hillary Clinton's right about this. You know, the Helsinki and, I mean, that meeting with Russia, Putin, why was it closed doors? And why was Trump able to be recorded by the Russians? I mean, the president yeah. shouldn't have been so vulnerable. I mean. So that was one of the things that opened your eyes. Yeah, on, on Hillary. And, and, and I think that was, yeah, I think that was like the beginning of all this going on and I mean, you can't really judge emotions and feelings and by tweets, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been a lot to process. Everything that you believed in, you know, is wrong or lied about or propaganda. And, you know, I mean, it's a lot. I mean, it's it's extraordinary. And it is the reason that I feel like many on Twitter have commended you is not just because they're liberal Democrats who are happy that you've seen the light, but more like it is so hard to change parties and to change your mind for anyone and on any issue. I'm embarrassed to admit, but I entertained the kind of anti-vax arguments. Yeah, I remember sort of sitting for, you know, lots of friends of mine thinking, well, we need to space out the vaccines of our children. Fortunately, I had understood better by the time my kids were born. And I vaccinated them. Don't anyone worry who runs into my kids. But I definitely know what it's like to be sort of drawn into a loop of thinking. And I fell prey to various bits of fake news, especially around Antifa, You know, briefly, I thought that they might be the equivalent of the neo-Nazis in Charlottesville. And that was because, you know, I was swayed by some cases, some fake pictures and some other things. I will say I tried to hold the view lightly and be willing to hear all kinds of arguments about it. And somehow you once held these views really dearly and then were able to put them in question. I think a lot of that had to do with the dialogue um, that I had. Yeah, so tell us about the intervention of Sarah Silverman. How that started, um, you know how conservatives are always complaining about how they're being silenced on Twitter or how come the rules have the blue uh, check marks and all you know all that nonsense. And I don't know what I was thinking. Um, I went after her and Stephen Colbert on a tweet. I just said, how come she and Stephen Colbert have their verified check marks? Yeah, these are the, the Twitter check marks that... 
you know, show you're the real thing and that they're vouching for you, vouching for your identity and vouching maybe for your credibility. And you said, why do Colbert and Sarah Silverman, the comedian, have these check marks? And I use the pictures of them when they're dressed in Nazi outfits. And, uh, oh. like, how, how, you know, and why would you take away? I was a fan of Laura Loomer at the time. So I was like, you know, why did they take her check mark away? But, you know, these guys have theirs. And, you know, most of the time where Trump Trump would actually go after a celebrity, the result was a block. They'd block you on yes. Twitter. And, you know, that was almost like, a, you know, badge of honor. So I did not expect her to, her to reply. She actually said, you know, it's gallows humor and, and comedy is, you know, subjective. Wearing a Nazi uniform was gallows humor. Yeah. And uh, she said comedy is also subjective and... I was surprised that she replied. And that's also a very undefensive and measured. And like that took me off guard, like completely. Like, it's like, whoa, okay. And then and, and at the time where I, where I had her intention, I was like, okay, if she's willing to reply, why, let me find out why she doesn't like Trump. Okay. I asked her why, and we had an exchange about Trump. And I was like, huh. And it was actually respectful. There was no name calling. There was no insults, you know, like what we were used to. And I was thinking to myself, wow, I actually had a good exchange with a liberal. Who knew that could happen? So I was like, you know what? I figured she was really cool and replied to me and asked, why not ask some more? Why not find out what they really believe? Because I'm thinking to myself, why would they want to take the Second Amendment away? Why would they want to take free, you know, all of our rights away? Because that's what I was led to believe. So I began asking her questions like, so why would you want to take, you know, guns away? And she's like, no, I don't want to take your guns away. And I'm hearing as someone who's so progressive as she is yeah. saying that she doesn't want to take guns away. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. And someone who's progressive as she is saying she doesn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Why is conservative media saying that they do? Hmm. And that's when, like, the light bulb sort of, like, wait a minute and when she replies a lot of her followers replied mm. and they showed me they showed me facts different news sources and then i asked them okay why do liberals care more about illegal aliens than the military because mm. that's what we were led to believe mm-hmm. too and so no i mean i learned that a gi bill was created by a democrat you know and, and, and i learned things that president obama did for the military and that's when epiphany like came in like the main, main conservative talking points were proven wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I was really shocked and surprised. And then learned more and, and didn't stop with her. You know, you know, I, of course, I met, you know, I met, you know, I met you. I met, you know, many different people that I spoke with. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing that I don't think the Trump uh, supporters realize is that they think, oh, I had an exchange with Sarah and, oh, I'm not a Trump supporter. or I'm not a Republican anymore. No, it's a lot more than that. Who were some of the others that you talked to that we might recognize the names? Sure. Um, Andy Lesnar. We became Twitter friends, I guess you want to call it that. Yeah. Alyssa Milano. Some of the women's watch ladies. Mm-hmm. In fact, I actually got to meet one. Oh, who'd you meet? Uh, Linda Sarsour. Linda Sarsour. Wow. And I trolled her big time. And the more I realized, like, hey, you know, cons- if conservatives are wrong about this, what are they wrong about people? So then I decided to reach out to her. And, you know, we actually met in person. And I know I get crap from right-wing Jews from this, but... There are things that we disagree with, but I don't think she's anti-Semitic at all. I mean, she's standing up for her people, critical of Israel, but, I mean, she is friends with Jews. She's voting for Jews. So I have learned that concerned media seems to demonize people, and, and I'm learning that, and I see that how they demonize Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. 
Talk about your amazing reconciliation with Hillary Clinton. Well, when I was realizing a lot of the conservative media is propaganda, I went back 10, you know, 10 years of my politics of what I thought was what it was. I learned about Hillary Clinton and I, I couldn't believe all what she did for New York. I mean, I was so amazed at all this, you know, especially during 9-11. I mean, you never hear about that. Yeah. I mean, I mean at least on conservative media. <laughs> From Sean Hannity. And I just saw how long her, I mean, she was investigated, you know, for like years. I mean, for yeah. a long time, interrogated all the time, you know, by, by the GOP. And, you know, you don't hear that. I mean, you, you don't really hear those details. And I'm going to miss out too. You know what? I mean, conservatives always say innocent to proven guilty, right? So why did that not apply for Hillary Clinton? She should have the same rights. She's American too. Sure, she's not perfect. Yeah, I mean, and I realize Benghazi. I kind of made terms with that. I mean, you know, leaders make mistakes and mistakes, but you know what? It was a criminal. And I think people should move on from that. You don't know what, you know, they're thinking or what they're going through, mm -hmm. you know, during these kinds of times, you know. And I apologize to Obama, too, for, you know, my hatred when I was, like, thinking that they were bad guys. I recommend that Trumpcast listeners find these at David M. Weissman's feed. He has officially apologized for, I can't remember the language exactly, to both Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. And you heard back from Hillary Clinton. Yes, I couldn't believe I, she actually tweeted my column that I wrote. Is that the one that you wrote for the foreword? Yes. That was an amazing piece. And, um, and she very graciously accepted that change. It's been such a disorienting time of disinformation on Fox News, certainly in some of the far left media from Russia Today, which is always on my case. <laughs> and centrist media makes tons of mistakes, too, of course. But it's just sort of astonishing to see truth kind of settle. What did you make of the Mueller investigation? Because I would say now most of that has been since you re-registered as a Democrat. You even describe yourself as a liberal Democrat. And a New York liberal Democrat. Yes, it's blue all the way through. That's right. Well, I'm happy to see that from what I understood and what I read, I'm happy to see there was no collusion. But Trump did a lot of wrong things. Mm -hmm. You know, intimidating witnesses, obstruction of justice, even though all the different crimes that Mueller listed. And I'm thinking to myself, I mean... I, I feel that he needs to be impeached because, I mean, if he can get away with it, all of the stuff that he did, yeah. and I mean, that sets up for other presidents to get away with all this, you know, no, there'll be no accountability. Speaking more of the future, and since we're entering 2020, where there will no doubt be more trolling, even if there's less Russian interference, it is pretty scary for those of us who don't live in the rough and tumble world of Twitter far too much. It's pretty scary to get trolled. Like when someone, they call it swarming or fratting in some cases, when you just get piled on by people with death threats, with Nazi imagery, with, you know, some of the aggressive stuff that you said or surfacing old photos or screenshots of your tweets to show what a moron you are. This has happened to me plenty of times. And how do people keep from, A, believing egregiously fake news like Pizzagate, and B, handle just the personal hit of fight-or-flight adrenaline that follows seeing, you know, yourself, let's say me, issue death threats or told that I have brain damage or rape imagery. I mean, tell us a little bit about, you know how, like, car thieves give advice on how not to get your car robbed? Well, you're the car thief. You try to sort of steal people's serenity and destabilize people while you are trolling. Now, how can we protect ourselves? Well, definitely 
the really aggressive ones. I mean, definitely block, report. Show your followers, hey, you know, this is not okay. This is violating the terms of service. Yeah. Yep. On Twitter and Facebook, they do have terms of service. I mean, I know it doesn't always work, <laughs> but I mean, you know, trying to do that. If there is a chance where you can see there's possible dialogue, mm-hmm. go for it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it changed my life, um, you know, big time. So I would definitely say go for it. And when you see news, research it. Um, just don't go by one source of news. Research in both conservative media, liberal media, and see where the facts really line up. Yeah. I'm a big believer in reading the court documents because in the indictments, in the Mueller report, there's just a certain clarity and, and nobody disagrees. People read the report right. differently and they might disagree with the findings. I mean, the conclusions of the report, but nobody disagrees with the facts in it, to my astonishment. I mean, nobody says, oh, Mueller didn't get this right. That's not the Russian that was involved or that's not what happened. And it is nice to have a book that has the facts in it, at least around collusion and obstruction. That all makes good sense. So now there's sort of a coda to this story, you know, the aftermath. One is now you've been trolled by Trumpites. And I want to hear about that. And then I also want to hear about the new stuff that's going on, sort of your effort to get out of Twitter and re-engage with your family and life itself. So first, what's it like to hear from the trolls? You once were one of them and now they're one of your targets. I mean, you're one of their targets. Definitely been shocking. I mean, especially when it first happened to me, people who I thought I connected with or friends with, you know, they would block me and, you know, and they said, you know, they would actually tell me, saying, unfollow or block David Weissman. You know, he's a traitor, he's this and this, and then, uh, you know, it's, and, you know, you know, I mean, you see the hits every, you know, every, almost daily, nonstop. Yep. I mean, even today, I still get comments or, you know, like a lot of hate, you know, from them, and it's like, okay. Calling you a traitor. Yeah, a traitor, and, oh, he's he's got his fame, or... He's doing this for money or this or that or, you know, not, you know, out of pure reasons why I did this. Or he did it for, because he was engaged with, you know, so, you know had an engagement with Sarah Silverman on Twitter. All in these different comments. And I kind of realized, you know what, if, you know, I'm getting this, thing, maybe I'm doing something right. It's also interesting that Trumpites question our motives often, but less our opinions, our facts. Right. And that's a lot of things like that, mainly opinions. And it's kind of funny how they don't question Trump's motives. Right. <laughs> that's well put. Okay. Now tell me, as much as you feel comfortable sharing about the sort of personal effects of both that period of trolling and the conversion out of it. Well, I have came to the realization that, you know, I was on Twitter, like, a lot. Um, so I, I decided that I am going to come back, work on um, family. I mean, I, I was in the military and saw combat, saw combat in Israel, too. Like, we were in the south of Israel mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, um, before we lived in Jerusalem. So we experienced the 50-day war there. Yeah. And I made, made this stupid mistake for not getting PTSD treat, uh, treated, so... When you got back. Yeah. That definitely put a harm on the family, kind of ruined the marriage. I mean, there's no love in, you know, between you know my wife and I and everything like that. What were your symptoms of PTSD? Irritable, angry, you know, depressed. You know, I, I, I had all, I had a lot of the symptoms. Didn't really sleep well. Didn't take care of myself well. Uh, I was a hot mess. And so now, are you getting treatment? PTSD? Yes, I made uh, upcoming appointments with the VA. So yes, I'm getting tr- I'm going to get treated. And is there any way, and I don't want to 
spread the trauma metaphor too far, but is there any way that all this tumult in your intellectual life, in your political life, has also taken a toll on your system? It's very possible. That, I mean, all I think about is politics. I mean, it seems like, I mean, I wouldn't take a, a break from Twitter, and I'll see something that is, and I'd be like, uh <laughs> you know, and I feel like you got to say something about yeah. it. So, yeah, I, I definitely didn't say it has an effect. I always ask you this in DMs, and you are so honest. I always want to hear that there are others like you that you've been able to help persuade other trolls to sort of leave that life and think with more equanimity and clarity about the issues. And the last time I asked you, you said absolutely not. Is that still true? I still don't know, but I've had a few Trump um, supporters that have you know, respectfully uh, debated with me and not, you know, you know, not with, like, you know, the insults, without the insults. Okay. Parted ways with you ideologically, but not vituperatively or with attacks on you, yeah? Yeah, and respectable debate. So that's happening a little bit more, too. You know, I've got a big picture question for you. How can we improve the state of political discourse in the country? How we have the CPAC and how we have the DNC I think what we need to do is have something that's combined, a convention for both Republicans and Democrats together to start talking. I don't know what that would be called, but I think we need something like that. where We can encourage dialogue. Sometimes I um, think that, it, it, you know, our disputes are almost like, do you remember the Yanny Laurel puzzle? Which oh, yeah. Yanny or Laurel? <laughs> that are almost perceptual as much yeah. as, you know, as much as um, intellectual or ideological. A lot of it is perceptual. Right. Like, you look at Hillary and you see a devil, or you yeah. look at Hillary and see a, see an accomplished leader. Well, when I went to last night, I went to an Islamic service for the first time in my entire life. Wow, into a mosque. Yeah, and I couldn't believe it. The stuff that they were talking about, same as a Jewish service, same as a Christian service. Talking about God, love for God, charity, you know, love for humanity. And I'm thinking, this is not, you know, the religion of terror, like conservatives were led to believe. A lot of this stuff is perceptual, and a lot of this stuff, I think, is media is a huge problem to what we have. Even though the media's job is to inform, a lot of it, they go away from that. Do you have a candidate for 2020 now that you're a, are you a registered Democrat now? I am officially registered Democrat. Do you have a candidate yet? Not specifically. I'm still learning. But one of the things that I love about learning about the Democratic Party is the diversity and how people are our acceptance of each other, even though conservative media doesn't say that. And I do see a voice like that's not being heard a lot. You know, that's the people of color, women of color. So I feel like I want to use white privilege, which I'm still understanding white privilege, and I do believe that it does exist. And I want to vote for the candidate who I think will represent the minority. Really grateful to hear that from a newly minted social justice warrior like yourself. My guest today has been David Weissman. He is a former Trump supporter and former Trump troll. That's how he describes himself. Really, David, it's such a pleasure to have met you during this time, now met you in person. Thanks very much for coming into the studio. It's great to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for today's show. What'd you think? Come to Twitter, that microblogging platform we all can't quit for some respectable discourse. I'm Page 88. The show is Real Trumpcast. And by the way, have you joined Slate Plus yet? Today is your day. It's your lucky day. Head over to slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus on the World Wide Web and join us. You'll get all of Slate's podcasts ad-free for only $35 for the first year. That's quarter pennies per day. Go to slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan with help from Merritt Jacob. 
I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. <laughs>